In a world that tells us that if you're not happy, you can just change your job, end your relationship, start a new one, have a baby, get a puppy or five. We are constantly facing change in the pursuit of happiness. And yet, deep down, we resist this so much because nobody teaches us how to navigate transitions. Well, I'm here to change that. Join me and my guest every week to find the inspiration and actionable steps to dive into your next great chapter. Let's write it together. Hello, everybody. This week I have a very special guest. Her name is Sam Guas uh, from the at the Sam Plan on Instagram. And Sam is a self-love and health and wellness coach, which to me are two of the most beautiful concepts that you could put together. So I'm so excited to welcome Sam to our podcast. And she's gonna go straight into her life story, her ups and downs, and how she managed to navigate through all the transitions. Hello, Sam. Hello, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to hear about how you started, how you get to where you are, and where you're going next. Yeah, I mean, it's quite a loaded question because I often think I've lived a number of different lives that have gotten me to this completely new person that I am today. And especially when it comes to being a virtual coach, working in the health and wellness space and really defining that for myself, what that means. I get a lot of questions from other people who either want to be in this space or, you know, want to kind of get into what I'm doing. And it all started, I guess, with decades of the opposite of the anti-self-love, very self-deprecating, almost like this depression and anxiety surrounding how I looked and how I compared myself to other people, how I wanted to look and not feeling fully in control of how I, you know, appeared to others and wanting to be different. So I went to school to study nutritional science, thinking if I could learn how to help other people, I can also learn how to help myself. Went to school studied nutritional science, and then got my master's in kinesiology and sport nutrition, found the sport of bodybuilding, essentially learned what I set out to do, which was achieve, you know, this physical change. I achieved it and only found that I was more self-conscious. I didn't feel any better about myself and how I looked and really was just so disappointed that you know, I'd basically climbed this mountain that I thought would be, you know, exactly what I needed and ended up finding out that there was this other mountain far away that I, I still needed to climb and still needed to master. And that other mountain really had a lot to do with the in, inner work that I had ignored my entire life because it was more my mental state and mental health that was creating a lack of sustainability in any of the change that I tried to achieve. I had a lot of trauma and issues that I needed to work through in order to fully heal myself. But it wasn't until I reached this like physical peak in a sense that I was able to see where I was lacking. And so when it came to coaching, there was no other way that I could move forward with helping people lose weight and change their physiques without also implementing this aspect of mental health being a huge priority. 
so with my help, with my coaching, I implement both. I never want to allow someone else to make the mistakes if, if possible that I went through. I don't want to guide somebody down the road of, oh, like, let's just focus on how you look. Let's just focus on helping you achieve these physical goals. When if you don't implement all of these other things of your life and you're sacrificing them in the pursuit of something else, then nothing you achieve is going to be sustainable. And ultimately, who really wants to create change and only have it be temporary? I think we all want, you know, whatever we put our efforts into to be something that is sustainable and, you know, something that is good for you, right, in the long term. So for me, it's been, you know, a long journey from when I was nine years old and it was started on my first diet until, you know, my mid-20s when I got done with bodybuilding and, you know, I'm at the point now where I haven't been on a diet in a couple of years and it really is just focusing on the lifestyle that I have and being the healthiest and happiest version of myself possible. So would you say that in order to affect the change that you realize, hey, I'm climbing the wrong mountain, I actually got to the top of it, but it's this other mountain that I want to climb, which happens to many of us. And whether it's the physique or it's the corporate ladder or whatever mountain or the, the, in, my, in my case, I'm with my clients, it's the marriage ladder. And we got to the top and we had the perfect marriage. And then we're like, yeah, but maybe this is not what I want. Would you say then that the change will have to start very, very deep down when we talk about the inner work? It's not even that okay, so you want a better body. This is the, the food that you need to be eating or the exercise that you need to be doing. It goes way deeper. You gotta, before you start talking about calories and how to do a squat, you gotta go way back. Is that what you're saying? So yeah, yeah it's, it's defining who are you and how did you become the person that you are? What are the defining events in your life and even the defining people in your life that have, made you who you are and and who is that person because well and those are things too that it takes a lot of thought and you know a lot of you know just churning around those different memories and thinking back as far as you can go that you know for a lot of people even myself included I can't before I really cared to I can't I couldn't even tell you the last time I really thought about who I was and the qualities that I embody the characteristics and you know, your physical body is just one small component to who you are. And if you only look at yourself as that physical body, then, then what are you really going to be able to accomplish? Like, how are you really going to be able to create big change if you're only focusing on this small, tiny aspect? Hmm. And what were the things that help you go back into the memories and help you go back into who am I? Like you said, you were asking, I don't even know the last time that I asked this. So I guess it was a question that was, wasn't easily answered. How were you able to find those answers? You know, it's so funny because they could be, it could be a memory you didn't even realize that you had until someone asked the right question, you know, asked it in a specific way that triggered a memory. And I remember the first time I ever went to therapy, the therapist asked me, like, what was your first memory of, you know, your weight feeling like you weren't an acceptable size? And this was when I was, I think, 17, maybe 18 years old when I first went to therapy. And she asked me that question, something that I hadn't considered in basically the, 
let's say nine years since it happened, which was when I was at the doctor's office when I was nine and the doctor showed me on a graph where I should be and where I was in terms of BMI. But I, but as soon as she asked the question, it triggered that memory. And then the more I thought about it, I could think of a bunch of different times throughout my childhood, even earlier than nine, where I did realize that, oh, I'm not as small as my friends are, whether I couldn't share their clothes or I look different than them in swimsuits and things like that. Like I could remember those things, but that one question really triggered the memory that kind of started it all. Uh, but yeah, it took like, it took asking questions. I journal a lot now too, because truly I feel that it's the, the memories and the experiences. Sometimes you have to relive them later in life to be able to push past them and let them go. Right. Because a lot of times those experiences can be affecting you subconsciously. Like you don't even realize that they're negatively impacting you or causing you to react in a certain way until you unlock that memory and you remember, oh, this is why this word bothers me. Or this is why, you know, and that, that happens a lot in relationships too. If your partner doesn't know that a certain word bothers you, then they're going to keep saying it. And, and if you can't think of why this word bothers me, not because they're saying it, but because there's this memory way back when, when somebody used that word to describe me and you didn't like how it made you feel right? Like there could be all these things or someone used it as an insult numerous times growing up to make you feel small. There's so many different things that hopefully in this work that you're able to do, whether it's with a therapist or even on your own of asking questions and you can find a bunch of them online. You can just go online and type, you know, really great reflection questions on better understanding who you are and why you are the way that you are. And just sitting down in your thoughts and maybe you answer <clears throat> one question a day and just spend five minutes maybe in thought thinking about, you know, your answer to those questions. That can go a really long way because, again, how often are you thinking about who you are, who you want to be and the person that you want to develop into? So I think it can be really, really powerful. One of my most favorite sentences, I don't know who said it, but it's something along the lines of the quality of your life um, is based on the quality of the questions that you're willing to ask. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't agree more. And I think it's what you're saying that mm -hmm. for me, therapy is just a very skilled human that can ask the right questions and then won't let yeah. you leave until you're giving them the right answer. And journaling is like doing that self-therapy is without having the other person to ask you the questions like you say you can find inner work questions journaling prompts anywhere and then it, you sit down and you go and dig for the answers because all that you're doing is just bringing to the surface the programming there is no way that we can access any type of transformation or change if we're only trying to write over the programming that already exists that got you to the point where you are so yes questions journaling and then you mentioned a third one that for me, I have had trouble even experiencing it in my own life and suggesting it to some clients, especially when there's a lot of trauma. So I would love to get your insight. You said sometimes you have to relieve those past traumas and those past experiences. So once again, for our listeners out there that are curious to see, okay, how were you able to do that in a safe environment where you were able to go back, release the energetic hold of the experience and move on, reprogram? What do you have for us? So for me, this was something that 
and it's, it's always hard, right? It's never easy to relive things that I lived scarred you that made you, you know, closed off in certain ways or so, you know, focused on one specific thing. And one thing for me that's been very helpful has been having these conversations with my parents because they were the ones that were there and I'm not, it's hard for me to be vulnerable. And I think that that's one thing that has made me stronger is my ability to be vulnerable with other people that I love and care about because I never want to put somebody down and make them feel like they did something wrong. My parents were amazing. I felt so loved, loved and supported, but there were a lot of things that we just never talked about. And there's even a lot of things that sometimes my parents do that are triggering for me in certain ways. So being able to have those conversations and to be able to stand up for myself and be vulnerable in those conversations and to come from a place of love has been super powerful and rewarding for me because if I wasn't able to speak up or if I didn't have the confidence to to, to, do, to do what I have done, I think that it would have continued to hold me back moving forward, but being able to release those feelings and emotions and thoughts and share them openly with the people who also can understand and that, you know, that's been really healing for me in my, you know, pursuit to, you know, fully recover and fully just be the best version of myself and relieve a lot of the things that have scarred me up until this point in my life. And and that's not to say that I've gone through big trauma. Like I said, I grew up in a great home, wonderful family. Um, and one thing that helped me, I guess, accept the idea of trauma is knowing that trauma isn't always like this big thing. So there's like big T and little t trauma. And even though I didn't have what would be considered like big T trauma. It doesn't mean that I didn't have these little moments of things that did leave me scarred and have changed how I see certain things and have changed how I respond simply because they did in a small way impact me negatively, right? Whether it was the intent of what of another person or the intent of the scenario, it doesn't matter because it's my experience and whether it negative impact negatively impacted me or not, that's like something that I have to work through. And just because again, I grew up in a great home doesn't mean that I didn't experience things that were harmful growing up. So, and I know a lot of people struggle with the idea of accepting that they had trauma growing up because they felt like maybe I did. I had a great parents. They loved me. I never needed or wanted for anything. Uh, but I think we all experience some, on some scale, trauma, things that affect us in a negative way that we carry through our lifetimes and being open to the fact that that may have happened, I think is really important because it opens you up to the possibility of healing. And if you don't accept the fact, the opportunity of, of healing, then you can't move forward and move past some of the things that are subconsciously possibly affecting you. 
Yeah, even in the most loving environments, um, in our role as parents, we are going to create some beliefs in our children that may be slightly traumatizing and slightly disempowering for them. And that doesn't mean that, well, let's just give up already. You know, you, we can't just right. raise children. At some point, we're going <laughs> to right. shatter their childhoods. I don't think that's the case. We just need to have the awareness and know that later on in life, if we give them access to that vulnerability that Brené Brown speaks one of the most important skills in order to heal. We will all be able to sit down and speak about what happened, how it evolved. If it's happening at the time, we can even be open to, to discuss it. I think that this new generation that is coming to the world is way more expressive. Uh, the parents are becoming more conscious. So maybe these conversations are going to happen in a timeline that is closer to what is happening. So all these kind of small, large traumas will be a thing of the past. They'll, they'll just be what they really are, which are emotions, moments, situations that weren't properly digested and they just mm -hmm. need to be processed. But I love what you were saying as well about how um, moving with your parents in this process without bringing any blame and any guilt. Because I think that that needs to be a almost like a prerequisite in order to do this kind of work. Otherwise, if you sit at the table and you say, well, you did this, you did that, are we really healing or are we just transferring our pain to those that we feel cause that pain? So now coming from a mom who has a nine-year-old and I'm beginning to watch very closely how she's interacting with the world. Like I've done my from zero to seven, you know, our children, they are with us. We're the main source of um, programming for them and conditioning. And now they start experiencing the world. And she's coming back to me with all these ideas about body image and body shaming and even though there's been none of that in my household it's now coming into our lives so from your experience from uh, your client's experience how can we as parents lead our children guide them into having what you represent that self-love and at the same time health and wellness awareness you know, I've, I've started to think about it more as I've gotten older and what would it be, what would it be like to be a parent and to see your child go through maybe what I did with, you know, not feeling good in my body and feeling like I was not good enough and that I needed to lose weight all the time. And I don't remember ever having a conversation with my parents about it, about body image or anything like that. I don't think that at the time when I was growing up, it was so commonplace to talk about your feelings, or at least that was never really something that my family discussed, unless it was like someone was openly crying or going through something that was related maybe to school, crying about a grade or, you know, those are the things that we would maybe talk about. But yeah, it was, uh, it was never something that there was an open discussion about, especially, um, you know, talking about the different variety, the variety of beauty that exists. It, there was only one that I was exposed to up until probably my, my mid twenties. I think all I ever saw in magazines, on TV, um, even, you know, I'm trying to think of where else I would have been exposed to different body types. And it was really just this one ideal of what we shall strive to be. And I wish there were more, more options. And I think that there are now, I think there's 
a wider wider variety and much more celebration of all these different body types and and I think that's that's amazing but we still have a ways to go I think and and exposing younger people to that variety a little bit more, especially in media, especially uh, in film and TV. But, you know, and especially thinking back to when I was growing up, all of the kind of like the heroes and the, um, the friendly and the good people in TV film and things like that were always smaller. And it was always the villains and the, the mean people that were always larger. And I think that that's also something that you subconsciously adopt into what you believe that, you know, small is good, large is bad. And that also works its way again into your subconscious. And I think, you know, we can all do better moving forward. And I think we all need to be responsible for creating environments that are supportive of all different body types and and uh, also just discussions on what health looks like right because to growing up too it was just this one idea of what health looks like and what healthy looks like and that's not a very educated conversation either you know there's so many there's such variety there as well and I think that's another conversation that we can have with young people of what healthy really looks like which isn't really a look at all it's all of these other factors that are far more important than what your number is on the scale what your body fat percentage is there's so many other things that tie into it so I think it's you know the environment that we create for our kids I also think it's the education that we provide as parents and in the school districts as well I think that that can be heavily improved to you know educate and give people a better idea of what we should strive for as individuals, which isn't to be a part of the group, but instead to stand out in your own way and find what's healthy for you mentally, physically, emotionally, instead of being like, oh, well, this is what this other person looks like and they're super healthy. So I want to look like that, right? It's not about being like everybody else. It's about just being the best version of yourself, which you know, as a kid, I think that that's really hard to accept because no, when you're a kid, you don't necessarily want to stand out. And I remember feeling that way. Like I hated standing out as a kid. I wanted to fit in and, you know, be with all the cool kids. And I mean, it's hard enough growing up, but I think especially with some of the expectations that kids grow up with and, especially some of the things that they're learning in school. And I think that that will take a while to evolve into something that's a little bit more healthy. And I, I think too, I know there's sick days for kids, but maybe mental health days, allowing things like that to be a bigger part of this social norm that we create a better environment for people to value their mental health just as much as they value their physical health. So that I think is more about the environment that kids grow up in where, you know, we, from the get-go demonstrate what's important, which is your mental health just as much as your physical health. Mm, it's, it's becoming a little bit more complicated nowadays with the advance of social media. So the environment, it used to be just their school, their family, their friends, and now it's this whole new world that they have access to that yeah. is, is imprinting them. I, I see you know, the, the model that is coming and now from a very young age for women before, like. For me growing up, I remember having my first sort of 
conflicting relationship with food when I was um, I was doing gymnastics and they wanted to put me on a diet in order to go to competition. And my mom completely refused. So I had to give up um, gymnastics, which was my passion because uh, she was very strongly against it. So I remember at one point going like, well, this is a bit of a lame game where I lose if I eat. So maybe I'll stop eating. So I stopped eating in my own ways just so I could get back into the gymnastics team. But that was the only time. And I believe I was like 12 years old when I remember thinking something about that, like body image. It wasn't until later on in my womanhood when body became an issue, you know? But I feel like now it is, like I said, my nine-year-old now is being exposed to all sorts of images that reinforce that belief of you got to be very skinny, like extremely skinny, and wear these clothes and act this way and speak that way. And it's so pervasive that even though you can put all the controls that you want, it's still happening. Right. Well, and, and it's really sad, too, because you have these children who are growing into men and women and they're trying in crazy ways to stop that from happening you know like as a kid you know you're you're growing up so fast and that's not just mentally but also physically your body is changing so fast and it's almost like even those changes that are so healthy and normal make you feel like you're a failure like, oh, my body's changing. And what is it that I'm doing that is contributing to that when in reality, you're just growing up, but mm-hmm. kids don't see it that way. They see it as, oh, I'm gaining weight or, you know, why is the scale going up? Why am I having to buy larger clothing when that's just a part of life? Like you're growing into what is going to be a fully formed and developed human body. And yet you know, you're made to feel like that's a bad thing. I remember, you know, being in high school and hitting, you know, hundred pounds or what I was probably hundred pounds in elementary school, but I remember hitting that hundred pound mark and feeling like, Oh no, like this is terrible. I remember hitting 120 and thinking, okay, I can't get any bigger than 120. This is it. And then I remember hitting, you know, maybe 140 and then, you know, it goes on and you feel like how, like, how am I letting myself go when in reality, you're just growing into a fully formed human. Like you're just, you're getting older. Your body won't start, stop growing until, you know, really you're in your twenties and you're, you won't be fully developed until you're an adult. And, but as a kid, you don't make that connection. There's a huge lack of education Mm. on what you're going to go through. And I think maybe even at an earlier age, there's, I think a lot of gaps in education, but I think health wellness is a huge gap that a lot of kids don't have access to is just yeah understanding your body what like what's going to happen what it needs to be healthy and you know it would be great for you know kids to have an entire semester of nutrition and uh, yeah just it's it's just way too small of you know two small pieces of information that kids aren't getting that I think would be really really helpful that will be so amazing, especially before they go to college, because then yes, find all these issues with the kids that go to college. And recently, a friend of mine sent her kid to college, and then the whole drama was all around the meals. And then they were like, you know what, this is too stressful. We're just going to sign her up for the cafeteria. So she'll get meals every day. And then I was like, oh, so what do they offer in the cafeteria? 
and it was the most garbage menu you could think of. And yeah. I just remember thinking like, this is gonna be a recipe for disaster because there is the kid obsessed about what she's gonna be eating. And then she's just gonna be given this fried food all day long. And, but, but the other alternative was the kid didn't know how to cook. So okay. I think that once again, without putting any blame out there, let's all just be aware. I have my kids, my nine-year-old and my 13-year-old cooking one meal a week. They just have to plan it, uh, find the recipe, I buy the ingredients, they cook it. And um, that's amazing. Yeah, they're like, oh my gosh, I gotta show you the shopping list from my daughter the other day. It was spit And I was like, what is this spit And it was the spaghetti, the pesto. The, but they're, they're learning now how to do it. So when they become 18 and they leave, yeah. it's not gonna be this whole scary thing. They're learning about, like what you were saying, what is healthy for you, what is not. Um, so yeah, I guess that we have a little bit more extra work to do, but that's that's part of what we need to do for uh, making sure that our kids understand self-love and wellness. Um, one last advice that you will have to people that are still feeling like, well, I'm not sure I can love my body in this shape, form, size. Um, what have you learned that you could pass on? I think this is actually a really good one. So I used to be not against the whole self-love movement, but I thought it was just what happened between your ears. Like it was more of a mental thing than anything else, but loving yourself, loving your body, appreciating your body has, at least for me, a lot to do with my actions as well. I love my body by moving my body. I love my body through fueling it with, you know, great foods that make me feel good. And a lot of the actions that I do throughout my day help me feel more confident in my body. And it's not about looking a certain way. It's really about putting effort and energy into taking care of myself. And that allows me to feel, like I said, more confident and just in tune with my body too. I feel connected to my body. And when I don't do those things, when I don't move my body, when I don't eat things that make me feel good, I feel more disconnected and I don't feel in tune with my body. And I think those are things that are a really important part of me, you know, loving and appreciating my body for what it does for me and for how it allows me to feel throughout the day, both you know, emotionally and, uh, and also physically. Uh, but those are things, you know, there's so many ways to love your body. And I think that it's important to embrace all of them. Uh, not to say that you have to go crazy and go to the extreme in any which way, but I think that it's just important to, you know, go for a walk, be outside, appreciate what your body can do for you and getting you outside and, and allowing you to, to do these really fun things and feeling capable is a big part of what allows me to feel connected and appreciative of my body and what it can do as opposed to how I used to look at my body as only this vehicle that I wanted to look a certain way. You know, it's not about how I look on the outside. It's more about how I feel on the inside, which is the complete opposite of how I basically lived my entire life. And if you guys want more ideas, you have to check some um, Instagram. I'll put it on the notes, but there is everything on how to be in tune with your body, how to nourish it, how to feed it, how to move it. So I love that you're putting that out there. And for everybody, please go and check her page out. Um, before we go, there is two questions that I ask all my guests. Um, and the first one is, where do you see your next great chapter? 
My next great chapter, I feel like has already started a little bit because I just moved to Arizona about two weeks ago. Who knows from when this is launching, but, uh, but I just moved to Arizona. I feel like there's just so much growth waiting for me in this new space, which has happened to me every time I've moved, I've always grown exponentially and just become a better version of myself. And so I'm really looking forward to whatever that looks like. I don't like to create barriers or uh, a defined pathway because if something better is coming my way, I really want to be open to that. I read a book and if I can remember the name of it, I'll send it to you, but it was super powerful because all my life I created this image of what I thought my life want or what I thought I wanted my life to be. And I was chasing after this one thing. And when I let go of that one thing, that one image I had in my head, I allowed myself to be more open to something better, mm-hmm. you know? So that's really where I think I'm focusing more of my, my idea of kind of what that next path looks like. It's very open-ended. It's very, you know, whatever happy, the happiest version of myself looks like, that's what I want. Whatever the healthiest version of myself looks like, that's what I want, but there's no definition exactly on what that is and I love that I think that that's um, a lesson that you learn from climbing that mountain and then getting to the top and going this is not the mountain that I want to be on I am now so much more open as I'm walking in my journey and go like is this where I want to be okay well no maybe it looks better over there that's where we're going and having absolute no attachments no regrets of well but I walk this far doesn't matter that was a lovely journey keep going in this direction because that way that's how you are truly finding your dharma, your purpose, where you're supposed to be. So I love that. Um, and then the next question is, where do you see the world's next great chapter? The world's next great chapter, which is a, a very hard one to answer. Especially think, in these days that we're living. <laughs> you know, my hope for the world is that we can move into a more positive space. And we can learn to love and appreciate each other for our differences instead of clashing with one another. And I just, I hate all the negativity that I see. I hate feeling like we're moving in a negative direction, I think, in terms of sustainability. And I, and I think there's so many great things that are coming up that are moving us in that direction. And it is something that, you know, you've got to think like this next generation and, and maybe even uh, my generation, like it's up to us to really create a huge shift in the direction that this planet is going into in terms of sustainability. And even in, in the in schools, like we talked about, like there's so many changes in education that I think would be super powerful in terms of equality. There, there's so much room for improvement. And so I hope that, you know, we'll continue to move in that positive direction because really it's been exponentially positive in, in some directions, you know, women didn't even have the right to vote hundred years ago. So I think somewhere around there, uh, there's a lot of things that have happened and moved in a positive direction. And I think that we're still moving there, but you know, there's, there's just so much room for improvement. And I hope that we can all learn to love and appreciate each other through the process. Fantastic. We're, we're going to leave with that intention. This love and support and appreciate each other and I want to thank you so much um, for this beautiful wisdom that you share with us 
Anything else that you want our people to know where to find you? I directed them to your Instagram, but is there anywhere else where you would like people to connect with you? I love hearing from everybody. And I, you know, my DMs on Instagram, my email is always open. If you guys have questions or you just want to chat, I'm always open to those conversations. So just hit me up. (laughs) Well, thank you so much, Sam. And everybody, I'll see you next week. Aloha. Hey, if you're passionate about helping others move to the next chapter and want to join one of the fastest growing industries, I would like to invite you to my upcoming training to become a certified holistic divorce coach. Just head over to olganadal.com and click on the Holistic Divorce Institute tab. I can't wait to meet you inside the program.